I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. It's a beautiful day in Miami. Uh, I'm sitting in the lobby of the Standard Hotel and I'm having a cup of coffee with Bruce Tuchel, who is a uh, global branding guru. He's the author of All About Them, uh, which, in case you were wondering, was basically great advice for brands to stop talking about themselves and start paying attention to the people that actually matter, uh, their customers. Uh, Bruce, great to meet you. Thanks for coming to, to come and chat today. It's good to meet you too. And hey, welcome to my hometown. Uh, this is, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about this because we're on the Venetian Islands at the moment. And I mean, there's just so much beautiful like Art Deco architecture around here and some incredible buildings. Uh, it was a great place to grow up. I had no idea how special growing up Miami Beach was. I thought everybody worked as a pool boy <laughs> at hotels and went to the beach every day after school. In fact, talk about brand things. When I was a kid, California was like the center of beach culture, right? Because the movies, yeah. the shows, the bands, all of that. And then we did the same thing here, but we thought we were kind of like posers, we were fakers. Until I took my daughter, I was speaking in Malibu, in LA, and my daughter went with me and she wanted to go surfing, so I took her to Malibu and I touched the water and it was like 100 degrees below zero. It was so cold, I couldn't believe it, because the Pacific is much colder than the Atlantic. <laughs> and I realized we were the center of beach culture. We actually lived it. They were faking, they were trying to be like us. Well, you know, I, we, this meeting came up because I was having lunch, uh, you know, in, in the restaurant here with uh, James Robinson, you know, who's our wonderful mutual agent. And he, I said to him, listen, I, I, I want to interview someone who's really perceptive in the whole branding space and how things are changing, but not one of the usual suspects. Uh, so he mentioned your name and uh, I checked out your things. And, you know, I, I think it's really important that we have this discussion now because we're in this interesting moment where technology has infiltrated so much of the current thinking around the future of marketing and branding that it almost feels like we've lost a little of the essence of what's actually important. I think that makes a lot of sense. People look at technology based on speeds and feeds. They look at software, what software can do for them, what technological advancements can do for them, but they forget to look at how the technology has changed the intrinsic way that we communicate with one another. And in fact, what we need to either supplement or replace because of the different way things happen. Right. So what do you, you know, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that about 10 years ago, there was this seismic shift in the, in the world that most people may have felt subconsciously but didn't really perceive. Yeah, well, you know, it certainly depends on how old you are now and how old you were at the time. But if you had already been to school, through school, or were in school, when the internet and access to information started to become ubiquitous, started to become democratic, you realize that there was an enormous change between the way we used to do things and the way you do things today. Information used to be very difficult to get, right? Remember, you'd go to a library or you'd have to find directories or you'd have to mail things. All of that went away and we rather naturally moved into this new way of doing things, of buying things online, of having access on eBay, of, you know, there's no bar barn finds anymore in classic cars. It used to be some guy would be driving through some state, he'd see a barn, he'd see something flash inside, he'd open the door, there was a, a Ferrari. Ferrari 250 right. GT. Exa 250 GT, my favorite. Um, exactly right. But now, Ma and Pa Kettle who live in that farm, they just go on eBay and they know that that car is worth $17 million. You don't find those anymore. 
people accepted all of this technology very comfortably. But, but, but equally, I guess, in that sort of classic Mad Men era of advertising, I mean, the big insight was actually long copy full of information and facts. I mean, the David Ogilvy school of, of copywriting right. was all about you know, providing information that now people would be totally bored by because they can find it on the internet. Well, and in fact, there's that's a whole nother phenomenon that's happened as well, which is our patience and our ability to wait for things is completely gone. I mean, when I was a kid, you'd get comic books and on the back there would be ads for things like sea monkeys, which forget that the fact that sea monkeys were garbage anyways, but in order to get them, first of all, you had to get a check, which you didn't have money. Your mother had to write a check and then you mailed it and it said it'll take six to eight weeks for delivery and every single day you'd come home from school and look in the mailbox. Now, if my kids want something, they're on it instantly. They won't pay for shipping because they have Amazon Prime and they expect everything in 24 hours unless it's a digital product in, or music or a video or a movie in which they expect it now. So who the hell is going to read long copy? I could already have the product. I could already try it and see if I like it or not. The point is that nowadays, with so much information available to so many people, you don't have to tell people what you do anymore because they have all that information if they want it. So what, what, what does that mean, I guess, in the context of, of what the new rules of marketing and branding are? Uh, how much of what we inherited from 50 years ago is still relevant today? Ah, that's, that's a great question because very little of it is still relevant let me rephrase that. Very little of the practices are still relevant. The fundamentals are totally relevant because the rules don't change. Right. Just the way you action the rules change. The irrelevance is we used to think that people bought products or services because of function. Here's what I do. I mean, in the old days, names were based on function, right? Mr. Baker baked. Mr. Goldsmith was a goldsmith. Uh, Mr. Teacher taught. That's how important function was to our identities, both as people and also as professionals or as business owners. And brands were functional too. Right? Brands were totally functional. If you look at what brands used to be called, they all had the name in them, Thermo King. Right. It's pretty clear what that product Or you'd does. try to get a generic. You'd, or you would get a location, or you would, right. But it had something to do with expressing to the consumer. Into IBM was International Business Machines. Why? Because they made machines in business for around the world. They don't make machines anymore. Um, so those practices, have stayed the same. And to get back to the ubiquity of information, the need to tell people what we do and why we do it still becomes the way we function. So if you go to a networking event or the, use the line people use all the time in elevator speech, it's always, what do you like, hey, it's nice to meet you. What do you do? And then we say, well, I'm a lawyer and I do appellate law, even though nobody knows what that means. And we tell people, but, but the change is that there's no reason to share that information anymore because it's all available. Like I love to say, what if we each had a magical device we could carry around that knew everything? Guess what? Siri, Alexa, uh, Cortana, Google knows everything. And if you're spending your time telling people who you are, what you do, and why it matters, your RTBs, your reasons to believe, you're wasting your breath. The problem is, though, is that we have these machines of infinite information. What we don't have are the questions. So these, these systems can't necessarily give us what we need because we don't actually necessarily know what we need to know. Well then, if you're marketing yourself, ask the questions. Right. Find out from your consumers, and more importantly, your potential consumers, what it is that would make their lives better. 
Look for aspiration because it's one thing to give people what they need now, but the real power is when you become indispensable to someone achieving their aspiration. Yeah. Religion has done it for years, my aspiration. And, and that's, that's very much, you know, that's the moment where consumers pay attention and they, they can find out everything they want about your brand, but they need to know to pay attention to it in the first place. Because they need to know that it matters to them. Right. Which is why the title of my book is all about them. That's the paradigm shift we need to make. Marketing, done the way it was done, is like being on a bad date. Right. Where the person on the date tells you all about them. What they do, what awards they won, how many Clios they have, how many Emmys they have, how many degrees they have. You don't care about that stuff until you decide, I want to spend time with this well, person. In an age of Tinder, no one's paying enough attention span to even care about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because they're selling something rather different. Uh, <laughs> and there's different attributes that are required, which you can generally see in a picture, right? right. Uh, so if you're going to do brand dating correctly, um, how should the conversation go? It should all be about understanding the needs, the wants, the desires, and I don't say that salaciously, but no. the desires and aspirations of the consumer. And the consumer could be the potential date, the potential mate, the potential customer, the potential buyer, the potential diner, the potential donor, if you're in the charitable business. It's all the same. I used to hear people say, well, this is a B2B, business to business relationship, or this is a B2C, business to consumer relationship. But today it's all P2P, it's all people to people relationships. And it's the relationship that establishes how we can move forward. Don't get me wrong, the ability to do your job, the ability to stand for something, to, to have the education, to have the knowledge is crucial. If you can't do it, you're not gonna get the work, but it's cost of entry. Just being able to do the job is not enough. Because if you do, you're competing with everybody out there who does what you do. And although I'm sure you're better at it, and how couldn't you be, as a consumer, I don't know that. No, and, and you'll never give them the chance to find out. And chances are, even if I get the chance, I'm, the consumer's not qualified to decide. You're the one who studied law or medicine or cooking or whatever your entire life, not the consumer. They don't even know what they're judging. How do, how do we reconcile this given, with some of the big changes that are coming in the way that we buy and design advertising, the programmatic media buying, data, everything's moving towards increasingly algorithms driving marketing plans. Well, I love when we would talk to potential clients and once the algorithms came into effect and, and click-throughs became the big thing, right? They'd say, well, we don't have to advertise anymore where you don't know if it's working or not, we check by click-throughs. Yeah. Because now we know if someone saw the ad online, the banner, and they clicked into our product, that's a good thing. See, that's very interesting. So are you suggesting to me that billboards are not a good way to advertise? And they'd say, what do you mean? I'd say, well, you have no idea what happened with the billboard. You just know how many people drove past it. And unless you sell a country radio station where I could see country music, 105, ooh, I like country music, and boom, I could hit the button. Or McDonald's, this exit. But, but that actually, I mean, that, that is now, strange enough, within sight. I, I mean, we're, we're getting to a point now where we may have you know, total trackability of advertising, everything. Uh, yeah, but we don't have, I mean, yeah, you can use the geofencing and you can use all those things, geolocating, you can use all those things. But what you don't know is how are you relating in a, mm, I want that, in a desire point of view. If you're selling purely functional items, I need postage stamps, you're gonna give me the button to click, fine. But if you're trying to sell something where people are buying it based on some sort of emotional response. Or the aspirations. Or the aspirations. I'll give you an example. I bought, I went, got my hair cut, and the guy who cut my hair um, put some new gel. He said to me, you want me to put some goop in your hair? I don't care. So I said, sure, go ahead. He put some new gel in. Now, did it hold better than others? I don't know. Did it look better? I don't know that either. But I got home, I went to give my wife a kiss, and she went, mmm, you smell good. 
Now, did I go out and buy more of that gel? You can be damn sure I did because there was an emotional response to the product. At that point, did it matter where I found out about it, what it was, what the brand was, or how much it cost? No, because it did something emotionally which meant it made my, me more desirable to my wife, which is high on my list of aspirations. Yeah. And that is the sort of thing we need to communicate. That this, something in this product or something in this service is gonna give you what you want to actualize yourself. Go back to your uh, Maslow. Go climbing up that hierarchy of means and you'll find this solution right at the top. The, the, the classic designers of, of, you know, attractive, desirous consumer products have always long believed that consumers don't actually know what they want until they're told. Uh, and I, Steve Jobs said that. It's not course. my customer's business so, to know what they want. So do you think people actually have an articulated sense of of the things that will be aspirational to them? Or, I, or is that actually the job of advertising itself? I think it's both. I think, because you know what they say, does, does advertising mirror popular culture or does popular culture take its cues from advertising? And I think the true answer is both. It's and who cares, right? right. Yeah. Because one is feeding the other. We are being told what we want and what we like at the same time as we're showing the marketers what it is we're doing that's making us happy. I think those go hand in hand. It, it's just that, I, you know, many industries that you look at from financial services to retail to advertising, a big part of the kind of busy work that's driven the industry is going to be replaced by automation. And, and there are so many people in traditional ad agencies that just won't exist anymore. Right, right. Um, and every other business. And I every other say. business. So, so what I'm particularly interested in when it, when it comes to branding and marketing, what will the smart humans be doing? Uh, you know, where is the real human skill, the creativity? You know, what, what is the difficult bit that we probably won't be able to automate? Aha, okay, so now we're really gonna peel the onion back, okay? Because now we're gonna move away from data-driven, we're gonna move away, because all those things are functional, technological yeah. advancements. And the key is really no different than the key for time immemorial, which is the way to sell will be to express your authentic truth. Because in a world of genericized services, of technological sameness, of homogenization, the one thing that's different that cannot be replaced is who you are as a person. It's your essence, it's your values, it's your talents, it's your ability to be, to be a listener, a lover, whatever it is. And if you can express that in a way that people say, I want to be around that, that's where the changes happen. It gets very difficult when you're trying to apply that to a very commoditized product. Yeah. However... Yeah, what's, what's the authentic truth of uh, dishwashing powder? But look at the products that have done it well. Apple, Porsche, Yamaha, Iceland. I mean, there's a lot of products that have said over the years, I, the product, stand for something. You want a piece of this. You want to be part of this. What's the most popular, excuse me, most... Uh, um, valuable brand in the world right now? Ferrari. Now, how many people do you know that actually, forget, have a Ferrari, have ever been in a Ferrari? It's minuscule, but the brand has said something incredibly aspirational that people want to be a part of. Is it a better automobile than a Kia? I don't think you can argue that it, can, that it is. But as a brand, as an aspiration, as an acme, as an apex, as the top of Maslow's hierarchy, it's something that a lot of people want to get close to. Hmm. How do you do that with something that is not intrinsically desirable? Ah, 
I mean, I think it's almost unfair picking Ferrari as an example because it's by its very exclusivity and price point, it naturally defines itself. Well, then move yourself down the range anywhere you want. Automobiles are great to discuss because most people know about them and know what they are, whether you like automobiles or not. But if you think about the authentic truth of various automobiles, and you're right, Ferrari and Maserati is kind of cheating, so let's, let's go to more prosaic ones. The authentic truth of Honda is simplicity. They always talk about that, they always show that. Honda, we make it simple, was their tagline. And if you want a product that in fact you don't have to think about, it's gonna do a good job, it's reliable, you're happy with a Toyota. Um, Hyundai and Kia, when they started coming up, their whole message was you can have the quality of the bigger companies, but for a whole lot less money. Toyota, they have a very simple, singular authentic truth, which is dependability. A Toyota is an appliance. If my Ferrari, to go back to that term, is faster than your Toyota, you don't care. If my Kia costs less than your Toyota, you don't care. If my Mercedes is more statusy, you don't care. But if your Toyota does not start, you care. <laughs> because that consumer has bought it for that attribute. For that dependability. And dependability, on the one hand, you say, oh, that's boring. But it's not so boring if, for example, you're a parent and your daughter is driving home from college in the middle of the night. It all of a sudden, something that you would have said is generic or prosaic or uninteresting, becomes very interesting if you can find that emotional connection. Should, should a brand have a universal um, authentic truth that applies to everyone, or should it find the one authentic truth that applies to a single consumer? Well, it's... Because in a data-driven age, strangely yeah, enough... Yeah, you might be able to do that very soon, you're right. Um, up till now, it's very rare the brand that could stand for everything. There's very few of them. There are some out there. Yeah. Uh, in, in this country, for example, in the US, Walmart is a perfect example, right? You will see in a parking lot of Walmart rundown cars going there for bargains, and you'll also see BMWs and, and, and uh, Range Rovers going there to purchase things. And they are racing to the bottom price-wise, but, but still they stand for one thing, which is low prices. If you want to pay less, you know that you can go there. Amazon stands for ubiquity, stands for distribution, right? Yeah. That's a rather genericized and universal brand. But I think that's a very hard thing to do today, especially if you're not in that kind of scale and of that kind of size. And there are companies who have done it and have fallen out of favor. McDonald's is a perfect example. Coca-Cola is a perfect example. Coca-Cola now sells water and fruit drinks and everything else because when they only sold that brand, which was Americana in a bottle, yeah. that worked during the industrialized, the industrial superiority of the United States. It was part States. of the soft power of America. It was part of the hard power too after <laughs> the Second World War and, and product productivity. But that stopped, and now they have to struggle to find where they where they're relevant. Yeah, it's um, it. I think a big part of this transformation is the way that we're consuming information. Um, you know, we were joking before about Tinder and photographs, but when you look at Instagram, uh, people don't really spend a long time with these communications if they can't instantly perceive it. You know, just as fast as they would swipe on on a picture. Right. You know, no one's actually going to give you the length of time to really get deep into your story. Well, what's happening is we're each becoming marketers, aren't we? And what we choose to put on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn even, wh whatever sites we're using to tell the world who we are, is no different than the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the, the, the accessories we buy, the wristwatches men wear, the bags and shoes women purchase. They are ways of saying to the world, here's who I am and here's why you should care about me. And, and the conversations are being had by the consumers themselves. It's almost like the line is being blurred between who is the consumer 
and who is the manufacturer. Right. If I'm pr showing pictures of my vacation, pictures of my kids, pictures of my pets, am I simply sh sharing a piece of myself or am I saying to you, hey, check me out, look what I got, look what I did, you should be jealous of this. What's that curse? Uh, may you be half as happy as you look on Facebook? <laughs> We are in fact marketing ourselves and because those of us who grew up certainly in the States but more importantly in Western culture have grown up on a steady diet of marketing our entire lives, it's how we know how to communicate. We communicate like agencies and we are the product. So if you're, if you're now the architect of a, of, a, of a big major global brand and you've got all the complexities of technology plus this new world order that you're talking about where people are very sophisticated, they don't have much time and they're very demanding. How do you orchestrate this all? Well, let me, it's funny. I, I, I mean, what, what, what do you pay, what, what is the most important thing you should be paying attention to? Thank you, good. Now you just gave me the perfect segue. I don't have to work my way into it. No. Um, I tell this to my clients all the time. And you need, and I, it's a term I used earlier, you need to figure out your authentic truth. We have clients who will say, you know, my boss just got back from a convention and he saw Yak or he saw Snap or he saw Periscope, whatever it is of the day, right? And you know the expression GMOT, right? Get me one of those. And I always tell them, you don't need social media. You need a strategy. Because what good is it to have social media and be promoting your company, yourself, your profession, your sales, your products, if you don't know who you are and what you stand for? And more importantly, you don't know where that arc resonates with who your customer, potential customer is and what they want. So the first thing that you do is you get everybody in a room and you say, okay, who are we? And who are we going to be? And those are simple yet not simplistic, right? Yeah. They're, they're easy to ask. They're not so easy to answer. And then once you finish that, the authentic truth part, you then say, okay, who's our customer? And who's our customer going to be? And what arc are they on? And then, can we find where those intersect? And is that high volume? Is that niche and specialized? Can we move it from one area to another? Can we shift what we're doing? Can we change what we're doing in order to stay true to who we are, but at the same time, be true to who they want to be? Because that aspiration really is the key. Again, these are easy to say in buzzwords and really hard to do. So this, I love this idea of you know drilling down on finding your authentic truth. Uh, how long a process should a company embark on this, and and what is the, you know, what resources does it need to marshal to get to the bottom of this question? It depends who they are and how they've been running their business over time. If they have run a business that understands that what they do exists only in the desires of the customer and therefore they have changed over time, staying true to themselves yet changing based on who their customer is and what they want, it might not take very much time or be very hard at all. If it's what's, a, what's an example of a company like that? A company like that, well we said earlier IBM, for yeah. example. IBM made machines, that's what they did. Now it's services. Now it's services because they found out a lot of things including moving boxes of heavy stuff was not nearly as profitable. And actually in the future just maybe platforms. It might be platforms and it might even be introduction to platforms, right? right. It might be we will, we will become your editors your curators of what's out there. So I really love this idea of, 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 of I guess, isolating the, the underlying core narrative of a brand. Um, have you thought about your own your own brand? Like, oh, come on. I, I think about it incessantly. Well, I, I mean, not everyone. I mean, I mean, they always say chefs don't like the taste of their own cooking. So, you know, what, what, is, what is your authentic truth? I'm going to use that. I'm so tired of saying the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Chefs don't like their own cooking. I like that very much. I actually spent quite a bit of time on it. Uh, there was a quote from Mark Twain that I found very inspiring. Mark Twain said, 
Mark Twain said a lot of things, but specifically to this, he said, the two most important days of your life are the, are the day you buy your boat and the day you decide to sell it. No, that's what my father said. And the day the kids go, to, go away to college and the dog, no, the kids get out of college and the dog dies. That was my father. Did you know my dad? Um, no, Mark Twain said the two most important days are the day you arrive on, the, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out why, and hopefully, perhaps, you never actually do. But I did try to figure out both what I brought to the table, to the party, to the world, and where my clients benefited. And quite simply, my authentic truth is that I make my clients' products or services more valuable because I see things they don't. Usually when I say that, someone who saw the Bruce Willis movie says, I see dead people. I don't actually see dead people, but I tend to see patterns. I see things differently. Um, and so I see solutions to a lot of these communication problems. And when I can get people to not focus on function, but focus on what they bring to the table, why they're unique. So I, I'm artistic, I play music, I draw, I speak, I, I do all these kind of things and I can show people new ways of looking at old problems. That's what I do. And then I get them excited about it. That's also what I do. Now, when it's time to implement, eh, not so much. I'd rather <laughs> somebody else do that. Well, what are some other examples of, uh, I guess, of brands that we would know as authentic truths that, that might be surprising? Well, you know, I'll start with cars simply because we've been talking about them, but everybody knows this one. If I say Volvo, everybody knows. They say safety. And Safety is not what an automobile actually provides. It's not the function. The function is getting you from point A to point B. Volvo decided at some point that that's what they were going to sell. And people who consider themselves conservative, safety-oriented, good parents, if they're sexist, good husbands, whatever, can well, resonate. Volvo is an interesting example, though, because I would argue that in 2018, their authentic truth is probably going to be something very different. Well, they are. I mean, they're now positioning really only electric, right? Exactly. And it was something very different, by the way, back in the 80s and 80s. It was longevity because right. it used to matter how long a car lasted. And Volvos and Mercedes, in fact, lasted longer until people started leasing. Once I lease a car, I only want it for three years. What do I care if it lasts for 250,000 miles? Hmm. And so Volvo and Mercedes had to change their brands. Mercedes from quality and durability into status and Volvo from longevity into safety because they could keep their tagline, by the way, for life. It worked when you were talking about for life, meaning you can drive the car for your life, and it worked when they were talking about... You gotta keep it. And you know what? And know that it's safe. <laughs> it keeps your life. But it also would work as they move into electric, right? Because it's for life. They are supporting life. They are supporting the planet. Yeah. Volvo is very clear about that, and they don't do things that don't fit who they are and what they do. But others, uh, McDonald's has always been a great believer in authentic truth. The authentic truth was not the food, certainly, and it couldn't have even been the surroundings. The authentic truth of McDonald's was where families, American families at one point, and then around the world, go for fun, for family time together. And if you look at all the ads, all the marketing they do, it's always about parents and kids sharing special moments. What about Starbucks? What do you think well, Starbucks is very interesting. We think it's about coffee, right? But it's not. Coffee is what they ex exchange for money but what they sell is a gathering place. Because Howard Schultz figured out from the coffee culture the in Seattle, place, right? it's the third place. Yeah. We need a place to go, a place to meet. And if, if I charged you rent to come in and sit in my place for two hours, you wouldn't pay it and use the Wi-Fi in the bathrooms. But I can charge you for expensive coffee and you will do it. So when people get takeaway Starbucks, they're actually just taking away the idea of the third space elsewhere? I'm not sure about that. I think when they get takeaway <laughs> Starbucks, it's because no one's ever gone broke selling an addictive product. <laughs> and caffeine is a really good thing to get people to come back and buy again. So if you're listening to this and you're kind of excited about 
you know, rethinking your brand, forgetting about you know, all the millennials trying to sell you on social media, and, and you want to have a more authentic sort of look into what you stand for, where do you start? The first thing I would suggest, and I hate to say this because I know people are going to take it the wrong way, but is navel gazing. You really got to understand who you are and why you matter in the great scheme of things. If you want to find out, go ask some of your friends. Ask your parents, ask your kids, ask your spouse, ask your boyfriend, girlfriend, people of opposite sex sharing living quarters, people of the same sex, whatever. Ask people who spend time with you. Ask your employees if you run a business. Ask your clients. Who am I? Why do I matter? But you got to ask people who will tell you the truth. And you will see, if you start writing all these things down, you will see patterns begin to emerge. When we do research for clients, we do focus group research, we do qualitative, we do quantitative, qual and quant, you've heard said. We do exit studies, intercept studies, blah, 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 blah. And our clients always say, you know, this costs a lot of money. What are we going to get out of it? My answer is always the same. I don't know, except I know the answer always appears. We don't create this stuff. We uncover it. I'm like an explorer here. And it's a nugget. And either I'm behind the glass listening to consumers, or I'm talking to people in a shopping center, or I'm reading a, a quantitative, I'm looking at the numbers and the charts and graphs, and all of a sudden, bam, there it is. So I can't tell for each one of you what it is. Is it your upbringing? Is it your talent? Is it your looks? Is it your accent? Is it your, I don't know. But if you ask people, honest people who care about you, they will tell you. And then what do you do? And then, and then you double down. And then you double down, absolutely. You know, they talk about all the time, you're, you're a speaker, I'm a speaker, and they tell you the key to being a speaker is be yourself, right? Be yourself, be yourself. And I always tell speakers, don't be yourself. Be a hyper-realized version of yourself. Be, to use a corny line, the best you you can be, right? Because for 45 minutes or the hour that we're up on stage, we can stand for something big, bigger than us. More than an hour, I'll make a political comment you don't like, I'll say something stupid, I'll trip. But for 45 minutes or an hour, or when you're promoting yourself in a professional way, you can be this perfect Walsh. I can be a perfect Turkel. Your listener can be a perfect listener and promote who you are and why you matter vis-a-vis -vis what your customer is looking at. Well, Bruce, it's been 30 minutes and I'm terrified to go any longer in case we get past the non-perfect version of you. <laughs> so Watch out, yes, you'll get kicked <laughs> off the air. <laughs> thank you very much for being on the show. It was wonderful to hang out. Um, all the best. I feel like I made a new friend. I'm glad you came <laughs> to my town and I'm glad we did this. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds. <laughs>